0: Psalm 141. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 522. Psalm 141. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds, in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head let my not my head refuse it yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds when their judges are thrown over the cliff then shall they hear my words for they are pleasant as when one plows and breaks up the earth so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. but my eyes are toward you O god my lord in you i seek refuge leave me not defenseless Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me, and from the snares of evildoers. let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely let's pray.:
1: I grew up in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, my the pastor at my home church uh, was it was I mean he 's passed on now he's with the Lord, but um, he's just a country, country guy that the Lord used in amazing and wonderful ways and he used to say after particular songs and particular moments he said boy if you can't preach after that something's wrong with you and uh, I feel a bit like that there are particular Sundays when when our singing as a congregation is particularly overwhelming and this morning is one of them what a joy it is to be in a singing congregation apart from apart from whatever we might say about you know particular styles of music and those things some songs and some styles just lend themselves more to singing and not listening and I'm thankful that not only uh, for that but for the fact that you know even in the new song when everything went silent we're singing never failing ruler of my heart everlasting lover of my soul I, I couldn't hear myself so much as I could hear you And uh, us together singing is just a wonderful and and glorious thing. And so I'm thankful for that. And if I can't preach after that, well, then something's wrong with me. Um, But uh, the story of the Bible uh, is a story of the God who redeems. That we all come into this world in rebellion against Him, dead in sin living in darkness and God in His grace sent Jesus Christ to lovingly redeem us from our sin to make us alive to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness and into light that those who have received this gift of salvation those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ those who have received his grace have actually been brought into his family, made part of his kingdom. But dear friends, while we are accepted by God, we are opposed by the world. The world where we once belonged, the world from which God took us when he brought us to himself, so that we could rightly say we turned our back on the world in order to follow Jesus and friends the world won't take that sitting down the world doesn't take that lightly in fact Jesus said if the world hates you know that it has hated me before it hated you if you are of the world the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world Therefore, the world hates you. The Christian life is an opposed life. We are citizens of heaven, living in hostile territory. And the God of this world, Satan, opposes us at every turn. He would love nothing else but to discourage us and to dissuade us and to divide us. And even apart from the human opposition that we face, the hostility of the curse of sin raging in the world, raging in our own bodies, creates additional difficulty. But in the face of any difficulty, no matter its source, the Bible calls us to keep trusting the Lord, to keep following Jesus, to endure, and to stay committed to honoring the Lord in how we live. So that Peter writes to people who are scattered in suffering, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Not just entrust yourself to the creator and hang on and and, and you'll get through this. What, what, what What Peter says to them is, entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. Apparently, in Peter's mind, there's no circumstance in which we can push the pause button on doing good. In which we can take a sabbatical from honoring the Lord. In which we can take a break from living holy lives. I mean, and this is serious stuff that Peter's... We went through 1 Peter not too long ago, and he describes their suffering as a fiery trial. And yet he says to them, even in the midst of this fiery trial, this fiery trial is meant to actually refine and establish your faith. So continue entrusting yourself to the faithful creator while you live faithful lives. Now that sounds difficult, doesn't it? In the face of hostility, shouldn't it really be like we hunker down and we just going to get through here? No, the Bible calls us to mourn. It's this commitment to honoring the Lord, this commitment to remaining holy in the face of hostility that comes out in David's prayer in Psalm 141. As with so many other psalms, enemies are present. You ever notice that about David? I mean, he was was on the run. He was on the run from Saul for years, and then even after he was king, later on in his reign, he is on the run from his own son, Absalom, Enemies are always around. He knows about enemies. He knows about hostility. He's often praying for vindication, for deliverance, for protection. And we see some of that here. But we see something here that we don't always see elsewhere. And that's what piqued my interest as I put together this group of psalms for this Psalms for Life series. That David wants to honor the Lord. He wants to be holy while he's facing hostility. And dear friends, that's a desire that we should have. But to do that, we need God's help. And that's what Psalm 141 actually teaches us, is that we need God's help to be holy while enduring hostility. We need God's help to be holy while enduring hostility. Help that is accessed in prayer. So let's look at David's prayer. First of all, look at how David prays. Now, this psalm would have been prayed publicly. Obviously, it's part of the psaltery. It's part of the hymn book, if you will, of the the Jews. It's their prayer book, and it would have been prayed. It would have been sung. However, it starts out as a private prayer. Our prayer lives ebb and flow, don't they? Even with the best of intentions to stay consistent, they can still become rote. It's something we know we should do, so we do it but so often it seems hollow it seems shallow it seems distracted we start out casting our cares on God and we wander into making a mental to do list we start out confessing our sin and we end up checking the clock we start out engaging with God and we end up with minds that are wandering I mean we've all been there but there are two truths that David knows here that can help revitalize us can help recalibrate praying when we start to wander and that and those two things are who God is and who we are you see if you this is where the 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 rubber of theology hits the road of practice and it gives us traction moving forward in our prayer lives Because we have to remember who God is, our creator, our sustainer, unstoppable in His power, perfect in His purposes, great in His love, amazing in His grace, sweet in His mercy, perfect in His wisdom. And remember the overwhelming salvation that He has given to us in Christ. We remember all of that, and then we remember who we are. Do you know who we are? Don't start chanting happy things because it's not great. I mean, when you read the Bible, this is not a self-help manual. This is not a build yourself up type book. This gives us an accurate, sobering picture of who we are. We are weak. We are powerless. We are helpless. We're clueless. We're needy. We're dependent. We're sinful. We are creatures. And actually, the only way we have access to God is because he and his grace has moved toward us and redeemed us and given us access to himself. Now, when you remember that, if we really believe that, if we really believe that God is all of those things, and we really believe that I am all of those things, it helps to set my mind straight when I go to pray. I'm not doing God a favor by praying. I am recognizing that unless God helps, nothing will happen unless God moves nothing will be moved unless God works nothing will work it's that sense of dependence that takes David to God and how does he pray first he prays with urgency look at verse one: "O Lord I call upon you hasten to me Give ear to my voice when I call to you. I mean, this is not a leisurely prayer. He is not just reciting something he learned in children's Sunday school. He is. This is the prayer of a man who is desperate for answers. I call on you. Now, this is not what it is. Lord, I call on you. That's not what it is. It's, I call on you. There's there's actually a bit of volume in this word call. It's It's louder than normal. This is not just a request. This is a calling out he's raising his voice because it's urgent that he be heard and the call is hasten to me not Lord you know when you get a second could I bend your ear he says I call on you hasten to me give ear to my request which means don't just listen do something you have to act. You have to move, Lord. Have you ever, sensed that, have you ever had that kind of desperation in prayer? Lord, you have, you have to move. Listen to me. You even sense your mental voice or your actual voice actually raising. Lord, help! He prays with urgency. He feels the intensity of his situation of what he is praying for which we'll get to now look praying with urgency does not mean we don't submit to God's will it doesn't mean we don't understand that what we're praying for may be given later and not in the sense of urgency that we give but dear friends let us never forget God can answer now God can save that person now God can change a heart Now, God can bring relief. Now, God can bring reconciliation. Now, God can provide. Now, God can give strength. Now, so we pray in faith, God, I call on you, hasten to me, give ear. Now. Urgency. Oh, dear parent, never pray flippantly for your children's spiritual lives. How long do we want our children wandering in darkness before they come to the light? Right? This doesn't make any sense. How long do we want that child to be in rebellion before they come to their senses? Of course it may take time. Of course it may take going into a far country and spending everything they have and ending up in a pigsty longing to eat slop. but it doesn't have to pray with urgency how long do you really want your marriage to go on like this well God will figure it out whenever you know he does his work in his time oh don't play that card dear friend of course God does his work in his time but do you know that God sometimes ordains immediate things to happen through the urgency of the prayers of his people More than once, George Mueller is on his knees praying that, praying for orphans for milk and bread because he refuses to tell anybody except the Lord what he needs. You go up to George Mueller, you say, George, what do you need for the orphans? I've told the Lord, do whatever you want. He would be on his knees praying because they are out of milk and the children need milk and up drives a carriage as he's praying in order to bring milk. Pray with urgency. But David doesn't just pray with urgency. He prays with humility. Look at verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. David's plea is urgent, but dear friends, he hasn't forgotten his place. He's a human being who's been granted access, the privilege of coming into the presence of God. And as such, he comes as one who worships and bends and bows and humbles himself. Did you notice how everything must rise to God here? He's so low, everything must rise, right? He's not sitting on a chair. I just heard this on the radio today coming to church. You know, just talk to God like he's your buddy sitting right next to you. Do not. Which of your friends can change the heart of anyone? Which of your friends upholds the? Look, I understand we don't want to be overly formalized and think that we have have to use a particular kind of language, and I'm all for that. But we have we have so domesticated God that He is no longer holy in our sight. He is no longer other than to us. And so, what has to happen? He says, "Let let my let my prayer rise." like incense it's it's not going to do any good here it's got to rise like incense to you this is a common picture in the Bible so that in revelation chapter 5 verse 8 we see golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and what does he do with his hands it's not just that his prayers rise his hands rise this is common Lord, I call to you, hasten to me, give ear to my prayer. It's like a child running to his father to be held, to be carried. Dear Christian, how strong are the arms that will uphold us and carry us when we go to him in humble prayer? David prays with urgency and he prays with humility these are prayers of faith both require faith and understanding that God can do anything provides urgency and understanding that God is not obligated to me in any way provides humility. He's not obligated to answer exactly how I want. He's not obligated to do this. I, it's even by, he wasn't obligated to even let me in in the first place. So I have to remember that. Even though we have this access, we take care, we do it with boldness, may our boldness never become arrogance in prayer. So what does he pray for? Well, that's the next thing we're going to look at. What David prays. what is it that he is so urgently and humbly asking the Lord to do there are actually three things and I'm not going to go in verse order because I want to look at the last look at the thing that I think is the heart of the psalm last but I do want to show he prays for things he prays elsewhere first he prays for vindication look at verse 5 the last part of it yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds when their judges are thrown over the cliff, then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. I mean, that's strong language, isn't it? When their judges are thrown over the cliff. Don't just read by that and think, oh, yeah, yeah, everybody prays that way, right? When was the last time you prayed somebody to go over a cliff? What is he saying here? Well,. He's saying, in the end, Lord, he's praying for vindication. He prays that in the end, God will make it clear that he's on the right side of history. God's side of history. If you're a believer in Jesus, it's not uncommon today to be told that you're on the wrong side of history. On a variety of things. And David is praying, Lord, in the end, make it clear that I'm on your side of history, which is the right side of history. Not for my sake, for your sake. Because that's what I'm saying. Those are the words, the word pleasant here. We'll look at the word delicacies up in verse 4, I think, in just a second. But it's basically the same Hebrew word. So he's saying basically, while all these wicked guys are eating their delicacies, in the end, Lord, when their delicacies send them going off the cliff, Show them that the real delicacy, the real pleasure, the real pleasantness lies with you. Vindicate me, Lord. He also prays for protection. Look at verse seven. As when one plows and seven to ten, let's read all that. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are toward you, O O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge, leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Now scholars don't agree on a lot of things. But one thing in my studies this week that scholars all agreed on is that verse 7 is tremendously difficult to translate. So, there's that. But basically what it seems David is doing is painting a picture of the real danger he's in. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol, but my eyes are toward you. This is serious danger, Lord, and whatever happens, I'm looking toward you. The Lord is his refuge and strength. The Lord is his help, his very present help. In trouble. The Lord is the one who will keep him from the traps and snares of evildoers. And David's confident that, verse 10, while the wicked will fall, he will pass through safe in the end. Now, I don't know if you've read the Pilgrim's Progress, but in it, Pilgr- the, the whole story, it's an alleg- allegorical story about the journey of, uh, of one from conversion to heaven, all right? And Christian. He was once called graceless, but now he is Christian. He's on this journey, and he comes to a hill called Difficulty. And at the hill called Difficulty, a couple other folks that we won't go into run away. But on this path up the hill to a palace, which is meant to picture the church, to the safety and security of the church, on this path are two lions. And now they're chained, but Christian can't see that they're chained. And one called Watchful calls from the top of the hill and says, don't fear the lions, they're chained. Just stick with the middle of the path and you will pass through safely. And so here is Christian and he walks the middle of the path and he's trembling while he does but the lions are chained and they cannot get him because he stays on the path and he walks the path and he makes it to the top of the hill and he arrives safely through the danger that is the kind of confidence that David has whatever happens whatever they throw at me wherever my bones are scattered Lord I I will pass through I will pass through in safety I will and that is our confidence as well, isn't it? That though the path is greatly dangerous, by God's grace we will pass through safely. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Grace leads us home, friends, in the middle of the path. Not straying to the right and to the left. And if you will, that's the part of the prayer that I want us to focus on the rest of the time. The sticking to the middle of the path. Because David doesn't just pray for vindication and protection. He prays for holiness. He prays for holiness. Listen to verses 3 to 5. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity and let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. This is what makes this psalm in trouble stand out from so many others. David's not just facing the sinfulness of his enemies, he's facing the sinfulness of the enemy within. He's facing himself. He knows his own weakness. He knows that without God's help, the wickedness that is around him will grab hold of him and will latch onto him and will drag him down into the darkness. And so he prays. Dear friends, holiness is hard enough when we're not in the middle of hostility, isn't it? Seeking to stay faithful to the Lord is difficult. When nobody's up in your face. When you're not suffering. When no, you know, last week we looked at betrayal. When nobody's betraying you, it's still, it's hard. It's impossible. When, but when people are up, they're opposing you, setting traps for you when they're coming hard against you and your christianity and your morality that come flows out of christianity in the midst of that sinful opposition the devil would love nothing more than to convince us we can basically take on the attitude and ways of the world that whatever you're coming at me with i can come right back at you you fire fire you shoot fire this way i'm coming right back at you in fire and to the church's shame that is exactly what happens too often. That is what happens on social media, that is what happens by the water cooler, that is what happens in the blogosphere, that is what happens everywhere is that fire comes and we're just fire right back. You name call, I'll name call. Look, and in fact the same is true in any suffering. We. The enemy would love to convince us that whether people are crushing you or life is crushing you, holiness doesn't matter right now. Anything goes. We can say harsh words. We can do horrible things. We can hurt relationships at will. And God will give us a pass because God understands. Oh, He understands us, but He will not give us a pass. There is no season of life in which we are handed the get-out-of-jail-free car, card in which it does not, we are not required to live a holy life before God. Even when Jesus sent His disciples out as sheep among wolves, He said, look, 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 be wise as serpents. But He didn't stop there. He said, be innocent as doves. Be innocent as doves. And so David knows what we need to remember that holiness matters no matter what circumstance we are in, is typically we, we fail to understand that when we say, "Yeah, I blew up, but I just I've really had an awful week." All of a sudden, the holiness, my holiness toward my wife or toward my kids or toward my friend or toward my boss is no longer based on who God is and what He has done for me in Christ Jesus. It's based on the hardness of the weak. And so all of a sudden, my circumstances are the sovereign Lord of my life. Do circumstances complicate living a holy life? Does it make it harder to live a holy life? You know the answer to that question, don't you? Yeah, it does. But holiness is required of us. You shall be holy in all circumstances. For I, the Lord, am holy in all circumstances. And so he prays for a few things with regard to holiness. He prays for holiness in speech. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Be the doorkeeper of my mouth by your Spirit, Lord. Don't let anything out. You, you be there. You be the, the security guard at the door and don't let anything out that will dishonor you. Empower me by your Spirit such that nothing slips out. Nothing comes out. When words are many, Proverbs says, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Dear friends, sometimes self-control by the power of the Spirit says nothing. There is a time to stay silent. At times, the, the temptation is to reply to opponents in similar words or tone, or, to com- or the temptation is to complain and gossip and play out what you would have said to them to another friend. Oh, this is what I would have said, but I didn't. I was self controlled. Dear friends, that's not self control. Grace for holiness indeed in what he does. Do not let my heart incline to any evil. To busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity and let me not eat of their delicacies. David prays the Lord will keep him from falling in line with the pattern that is all around him and his enemies. Let me not eat of their delicacies. The way of the wicked, the way of the world, the way of the opponents of God. Sin has its pleasure for a season. Don't lie to your teenager and say there's no pleasure in forsaking the Lord. There is a sense in which pleasure is enjoyed. as we saw before it is futile it is short term and it is not even the greatest pleasure that one could have but these wicked folks aren't they aren't they aren't you know just slumped over well I wish we were holy so we would have pleasure too they are taking pleasure in everything that God has meant to actually point them to him they're like Edmund in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They're eating their Turkish delight, and it tastes good. But the more that they eat it, the more they're drawn into the wicked. The more the white witch has control of him. And that's what is happening. They're eating the delicacies and eating the delicacies. And do you know what happens as you eat the delicacies of the world? Your taste buds for pleasure get recalibrated and you lose a taste for the Lord you no longer actually taste and see that the Lord is good you may tolerate the taste of worship you may tolerate the taste of prayer you may tolerate the taste of the word but it's a bit like eating your vegetables as a kid or whatever it is you didn't like as a kid that your parents made you eat you do it because you have to you know it's supposed to be good for you but what you really want is what you're not supposed to have Your taste buds get all messed up. Your soul's taste buds get oriented to the wrong thing. And David is praying urgently with humility, Lord, don't let me fall in line there. Don't let me do their wicked deeds, fall in line with their company. Don't let me eat of their delicacies. Starve me of the delicacies of the world, Lord. And what makes that kind of thing even more tempting is that this word men is not just a generic word. This is a word for men with influence. They have land. They have power. They have status. They're on the cover of magazines. They're the ones that everybody's reading. They're the movers and shakers in society. They're already men that you would naturally follow in society. And they're eating the delicacies. What a warning to anyone who has any authority over anyone else, isn't it? Because if God has sovereignly put you in a place where you have influence over other people and they follow you, what you do matters even more because you may drag them into the delicacies of the world and think they're just responsible for themselves. David prays. What does he want? He wants to be the blessed man, right? Of Psalm 1. He doesn't want to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. He wants his delight to be in the Lord. He wants holiness in speech. He wants holiness in word, in uh, action, and he wants holiness in motive. Did you notice that? First line of verse 4 Do not let my heart incline to any evil. David does not just want external holiness. He doesn't just want to be perceived as holy by other people. He wants to be a man after God's own heart. He needs God's help to stay steady, not bending toward evil. So Proverbs says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And Jesus says in Matthew 15, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. If you look at that list carefully, you'll find words, you'll find actions, and you'll find thoughts. And all of it comes from the control center of life. That's what the heart is in the Bible, it's the control center of life. If your kids like video games, you know they always want batteries for the controller, right? They have the batteries for the controller and they control it. And if in these first-person games where you walk around and you're on an adventure, you do things, you're collecting things, if you set that controller down, that guy doesn't go anywhere. If you push left, the guy goes left. You push right, the guy goes right. Now, sadly, I can't even figure that out. I mean, I don't know how to move anything anywhere. But I know that whatever you do on that controller makes that guy do it. And when the controller of life is inclined toward evil, that's where you go. In word, in action. And you know you know why the leaning tower of Pisa leans? Because it was built on a terrible foundation. There's like clay and fine sand and even shells. It's between a couple of rivers. And so by the time the second story the second floor was complete it was already leaning and when we build our lives on the world's ideas on the delicacies of the world we will be inclined to evil we will be inclined away from the Lord I don't want to be too formula but God God protects our hearts how does he do that he protects our hearts by his spirit through his word He protects us by the power of the Spirit and His Word. And I don't want to be too formulaic, but I would just say that the more inclined we are away from the Word of God, the more inclined we will be toward evil. Because do you know, I have never counseled anyone yet who will come in and describe to me the horrid situation that they have gotten themselves into and I say well tell me about your life of devotion in the Bible and in prayer and tell me about your sitting under the preaching of the church I've never asked that question they say oh all of that's wonderful I've been praying I've had deeper and more meaningful prayer times and and times in the word and and uh, and church, do you know what is typically just one of those first removals is from the work from that which would guard us, from the community of God's people, from the word, from prayer. And then we find ourselves inclined and wondering, how did I get here? Well, as the song says, it is a slow fade. A slow fade. And David doesn't want that. He pleads with God to keep his heart vigilant, that he will not speak or do evil. And then he prays for holiness with help. That's what verse 5 is about. You see, because if you just walk around saying, my heart's okay, do you know what the Bible says? Heart's deceitful. It's desperately sick. Sometimes we just need one another. The wise man draws out the depths of the heart. We just need somebody else looking at our lives saying, I'm saying, well, my, my heart's right. My heart's right here. And somebody else comes along and they, like, they see it for what it actually is and said, um, No. Your heart can't be right if that's what's happening. Your heart can't be right if that's how you're responding to hostility. Your heart can't be right if that's what you're saying. Your heart can't be right if that's what you're doing. Don't become a gnostic on us, right? Where what I do in the body doesn't matter as long as I, in my soul, I'm okay with God. No, 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 no. We are embodied souls. What what is true of our heart comes out in our lives. And so he prays for holiness with help. David knows this is, this is part of God's ordained plan, that iron's supposed to sharpen iron, that, that he needs help. Let me ask you just a question before we go on. Do you know that you need help? Let me tell you how you know you need help you're in relationship with people who will help you. That's, how you. that's how you know that you know you need help. If you just say you need help and you're, you're not unveiling your heart to anyone, you're not in any kind of relationship where someone, where, where you're you know, asking for counsel, you're getting strength as you battle against sin, you're not in any kind of relationship like that. I'm not sure if I'm not asking that question of somebody, I'm not sure I'm really convinced that I need help. Or I may think I need help, but I really don't want anybody else to think that I need help. Which, believe me, as an elder in your church, this is a temptation that I face. I have to fight against that. So I'm telling you now, I need help. I try to ask the elders on a regular basis. I need help. A church isn't made up of the helper and all the help. It's made up of a bunch of helpless people who have a helper in Christ. And he gives us to one another in in the church in order to help one another. He says, let not my head refuse it. Let my head not refuse it. Why would he pray that? Why would he ask the Lord, Lord, don't let me refuse. You know why? Because nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, you know what I really want today? I'm hoping a friend will rebuke me and I'm hoping it stings and I'm hoping they challenge my wrong way of thinking and I'm hoping they strike me with the rod of love and truth. Nobody wakes up doing that but probably more of us ought to. Right? That's why he prays for that because you know what is considered a kindness and love in our culture? Look, that's really your business. That's really his business. That's none of my business. It's none of my business to actually be involved in your life. Just let them be. The world would convince us that that's what love is. Love just lets the other person be. Now, I'll I'll pray, but I'm just going to let them be. But do you know what one of the sweetest words you ever heard in your life if you're a Christian is? Repent. It didn't taste sweet when it first came to you. But by God's grace, it's sweetened up. God's grace, it's like sugar that just sweetened it. We, do you want to go back and tell the person who called you to repent and believe in Jesus? Now don't do that. Just leave me be. If I come to it, I'll come to it. No, 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 no. You would plead for them to do it again and again and again and again and again. yet we take on the world's attitude when we never get to a place in our gospel conversation when we say you can't go on like this and be right with God you have to repent and God has put us in a body to do that to do what Hebrews 3 says to do exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So now let me ask this what is your response to a friend who wants to help you? To someone who comes and and, and questions some word or some attitude or some action? Do you downshift into being defensive? Do you instinctively believe that they're out to get me? or do we strive to believe that this person loves me that faithful are the wounds of a friend and God is providing me an opportunity for self-examination the reality is is that there are times when I've gone to lovingly try to help someone that I just didn't see the full picture and they helped me to see and I what I saw wasn't the full picture And there are times it's happened the other way around but if I if you come to me and I'm just like you just say Toby you, you, this is what's troubling me About what you've done or what you said. And I just say, Look, look, hey, hey, read the degree on the wall, all right? I am a pastor. Or if I just downshift into, No, 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 that couldn't possibly be true. If I immediately go to not actually considering whether the rebuke is true, then I am defending myself rather than actually examining my heart. Even if hearing it, I would instinctively say no. I would want to think, did it? Did I do that? Did I sin? Do I need to repent? I'm telling you now, no matter how hard-hearted the Lord may allow me to get at some point in my life, don't you dare stop rebuking me. Don't you dare. It's God's means by which he graciously brings wandering children back home and calls the lost into his family. In the midst of opposition and persecution and tribulation and the pains of life, holiness matters. We need holiness in speech, we need holiness in deed, we need holiness in motive, and we need holiness with help. This is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. They were going to be in some of the hardest, most oppositional situations, things that we will never face. And yet he teaches them, lead us not into temptation. Isn't that something? The same man he's going to send out as sheep among wolves, he says, pray, 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 that the Lord will deliver you from the evil one. And Jesus didn't just pray it, I mean, he lived it he was deeply and wickedly opposed by men and yet he was without sin Jesus went to his death on the cross without sin so that he could save us who wickedly and deeply opposed him he didn't lash out as at his enemies in vengeance he laid down his life for his enemies in love and because of his death all who turn from their sin because of his resurrection all who turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone they are reconciled to God if you have not turned from your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ the sweetest word I can tell you today is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ He is a faithful Savior We deserve hell, but He died so we could receive heaven. We deserve the curse, but He died so that we could receive God's blessing. And those who belong to Him, God has given to us His Spirit. The very Spirit of Christ, the other helper that Jesus promised. The Spirit meant to empower us to live more like Jesus who strengthens us to follow in Jesus steps and when we are opposed not to revile not to threaten who enables us to pray for holiness who the spirit even prays for us when we don't even realize that what we really need to be praying for right now is holiness empowers us to walk in holiness so see dear friends if you're a Christian don't settle for anything less than enduring hostility with holiness. Don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for the world's pattern. Don't settle for serving yourself. Don't get dragged down by the weight of depravity because holiness matters no matter the circumstances. We need God's help to be holy while facing hostility, while enduring hostility. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus and the Spirit of God living in us, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, we can live holy while enduring hostility. Let's pray.